Godzooks! This is episode 112 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode features Nick Danielson. Nick is a photographer, designer, and videographer based out of Seattle, Washington. Nick really enjoys running throughout the Pacific Northwest. Over the past year, I've grown to love his work capturing beautiful landscape shots of the mountains and the Cascades and the Olympics and photographing runners in in the Alpine. Nick has a very interesting blend of his wide array of interests. And it was great to talk with Nick about how he... spends his time and what's important to him and how he's pivoted throughout the process of becoming a runner, a designer, and a content creator. If you'd like to learn more about Nick, you can find him on Instagram at Nick M. Danielson, and you can find him on his website, nickdanielson.com. I'll be sure to leave all those links in the show notes. Without any further ado, here's Nick. On the forest floor, satiated yet wild more. So lead me to the forest edge. Take me to your riverbed. All right, Nick. What's your favorite thing for dinner when you're out in the backcountry? Um, if you just eat the mic well, just a little. There you go. Talking to it? Yeah, yeah. There Sweet. you go. I feel like I need some like cheesy quote about whatever my friend is making. <laughs> um, but probably pizza made by my buddy Ian, um, which mostly was just a pleasant surprise <laughs> and a change from Mountain House. Um he like somehow concocted this like awesome pizza that he made with brought all the materials out there um, on a backpacking trip Ooh. in his like tiny stove. So I got to give him props for uh, the ingenuity of making a pizza in the backcountry. That would be the most delicious pizza ever. Yeah, I also just love pizza. So <laughs> simplifies things. And pizza stays a long time in the backpack, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I eat pizza a lot. Like cold pizza mm-hmm. out on runs and things um but having a freshly made pizza was game changing wow that's awesome <laughs> um well, yeah one of my favorite things that my son and i've been doing is taking out like cold pizza or we'll even go out to fast food and i'll just sure. like create that incentive for going out on the trail he, yeah. he just loves it man. yeah yeah lots of calories packed into small packages <laughs> so i've noticed that you do a lot of runs out in the um, cascades in mm-hmm. well really everywhere but how long have you been trail running for uh, it's been about eight years, I think, um, which starting out, I think trail running was probably generous. It was, um, like me with my camera backpack, like slogging up trails and then like trying to run down them. Uh, and it's just kind of progressed since then. 
Um, I went to Western up in Bellingham for four years and uh, kind of cut my teeth in the chuckanuts. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I think I really started to um, open up the world of trail running. And then since then, I just uh, kind of haven't stopped. <laughs> You're taking up a camera bag. So did your love of like um, photographing nature come before your interest in trail running? Yes. Yeah. So I was a photographer before trail runner. I ran in high school cross country um, freshman year and did one race, decided I hated it and like didn't (laughs) run again until late high school. Uh, But right around kind of the end of high school and um, early college, I started wanting to get to cool places in our state faster. Mm. Um, And I had started to entertain the idea of running again um and so the two things kind of came together and i think the the like most standout memory for me is uh if you've been to lake serene it's out on Mm. highway two it's like a super popular classic here um i remember seeing photos of it and convincing myself i had to go take you know photos at sunrise (laughs) and My, like, I had no experiences with Alpine starts or anything like that. And so my thought was, well, I'll still wake up at, like, I don't know, 5.30 or something, and then I'll just run, and I'll get there in time for sunrise. Um, Sure enough, that trail was steeper than I was anticipating, and having not have any training under my belt, I uh, I missed sunrise. But it was still like an awesome experience just going out there and like sweating through my shirt and, you know, hauling up a camera and then getting so excited when I got to the top. Mm. And for, for you, it's all about like or a lot of it is capturing those moments, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my relationship with trail running has definitely changed over the last uh, even four or five years a ton. Um, but a lot of it. A lot of it for me is like the incentive of going out and and making images. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things that changes a lot is what I'm making images of, mm-hmm. and so obviously different landscapes. But um, I find myself going out more a lot with just groups of people or friends, mm-hmm. and focusing more on capturing them mm-hmm. than the actual places I'm going. Um, and so it's been a it's been a fun kind of change of motivation to go out on those and shoot more journalistic style, which is kind of my background, uh, rather than just looking for that like pretty mountain photo. Mm-hmm. Have you considered um, what draws you to that? Why you like that so much? Is it journalism in general? Yeah. Uh, so I didn't. Um, have any formal education in journalism, but I, when I went to Western, I hung out with all the photojournalism kids and I shot for all the newspapers and publications up there. And I got really hooked on making interesting images that had stories behind them. Mm. Um, I hated writing, but I loved having that element of, of an image that had, you know, this person behind it and, Mm -hmm. and these emotions behind it. Uh, And so I got really into making weird images that, you know, like all of my photojournalism friends loved, um, but other people thought were like boring photos. Oh yeah. It's like when you do like comedy for comedians, right? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And, uh, and I think, you know, going into the outdoors and, and trail running and things like that, it's so easy to just go focus on the beautiful places that you are and those kind of classic shots. Um, 
but getting to challenge myself in a new way of bringing that journalistic background into it, um, I think is why I'm just interested in it. You know, it's, it's a new challenge. Was there a time when you were just, when you were doing only the landscapes that you found yourself um, left wanting and not having a clear um, direction to take from there? Or did you immediately just transition to this kind of photojournalist blend with being in the landscape? Yeah, I, I think the left wanting, mm-hmm. you know, um, feeling that landscape photography is lacking in depth mm. sometimes is like a pretty common experience mm-hmm. um, for landscape photographers. And I, I like still spend most of my time shooting photos of, you know, beautiful places. And I still get so excited when mm-hmm. the sun is setting and I'm, I'm on a peak somewhere and the clouds are just right. Um, but I think there it you get into these kind of slumps sometimes mm-hmm. these creative ruts um and one of the best ways to get out of those is by giving yourself a new challenge mm-hmm. um or by you know introducing uh, kind of a past skill mm-hmm. to your current body of work yeah i see sometimes when we create some sort of order by pursuing um, an interest right and once we've created those habits and routines and have started to get better at that and mm-hmm. the order continues to to grow and like chaos diminishes or like uncertainty and like pushing yourself and challenges um there's that point where things kind of get stale and it's like it's a very interesting thing what someone does then because there's many different choices you can make right but the reintroduction of chaos right or um doing something new challenging yourself in a way that's ultimately fulfilling for you like that's what's very interesting to me because that's a struggle that i think a lot of people experience you know mm-hmm. even if it's very shortly where they don't have to consider oh, i wasn't that bad i just got mm-hmm. into this other thing but some people it's like devastating you know yeah it is definitely not a problem confined to creatives it's mm-hmm. something that i think we all experience yeah and um when you're doing these uh photojournalists when you're taking these photos of people it's Dominantly in the uh, landscapes, in w- with a mixture of trail running, right? Mm-hmm. Is that your soul? Like, do you have that niche? Is that your interest, or does it expand to other places as well? Yeah, I guess I wish I had like a really clean cut elevator pitch to describe <laughs> myself um, and that body of work. Mm-hmm. But I think the the simpler answer answer is just uh, like I love trail running mm-hmm. and. I love shooting photos. Yeah. And when I bring those two things together, it just kind of is the most natural outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I'm going to do both of them anyway. Mm-hmm. So might as well do them together. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, like the small business owner side of me would, would say that of course that that's my niche and, mm-hmm. um, that's what I specialize in and everything. But, uh, like the truth is that's not what most of my work is. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a lot of different things and, going out in the mountains on a run shooting photos is only a small percentage of my actual work um but i think what's what's been really um exciting for me is is having that be a part of the work but also still be excited by it Mm. um because with especially in the creative industry like constantly battling burnout Mm -hmm. um and so i I still don't feel burnt out on those things Mm. um because so much of it is just like those passion projects um pursuing that those interesting images during trail runs with friends. Mm. So it's like you're just pursuing the thing that gives you some sense of meaning in both of the things. Because like you said, you wouldn't run necessarily for the sake of running beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and having those so that you can continue to get good at these things. And like, that's the thing that I find interesting is like the pursuit of unobstructed self-expression. Like, cause you have to make a lot of these, um, like negotiations, right? Like you want to be in the mountains, you like to do design, but you have to do these other things to be able to um, survive, right? To make money. Um, and also to keep yourself healthy, right? Or mm-hmm. you got to cook food, stuff like that. And I think over time, like, trying perhaps trying to align that more and more in the ways that make you feel ultimately fulfilled so you don't have to compromise as much mm-hmm. on them but there'll always be compromise right because mm-hmm. there's always things that need to be done yeah and uh fulfillment is like a really funny thing <laughs> uh i spend a lot of time thinking about why i'm outside or you know why i'm running around and uh there, I, I definitely am very conscious of the times that I'm out there um, at, you know, 3 a.m. with my camera waiting for sunrise. And I, I usually I take a moment to inspect what is the true meaning for being there. And if I'm if I'm there because I actually want to be there or if I'm there just because I want the photo. And I like to tell myself that. I just love being in the mountains and I love those experiences. And it's true. I do. But there are. 100% like you know those times that you go out purely for the photo yeah. and I don't think there's anything wrong with that I think that in itself a creative pursuit mm-hmm. is is totally healthy um, but I think what what I try to stray away from is having all of my outdoor activities solely propelled by the need to get more photos mm-hmm. um, because I do love running like mm-hmm. I do I uh, you know, maybe when I was first starting out, I, I didn't want to go run just for the sake of running. But um, like I said, that relationship with that sport is transformed. Now, mm-hmm. I actually I go out and I do hill workouts or I do intervals or I you know sign up for races. Um, and I and I love those things. And it's really important to me that I I don't necessarily have to keep them separate, but that I know that that is a motive and photography is a motive as well. It's that's that the way that you describe that's a very similar thing that I experienced because I remember when I was younger you get me to run and I felt like I wanted to puke I didn't like it it was boring my coach would eat hamburgers and yell at us and tell us to run 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 and I'm like no I quit and I didn't look back and all of a sudden I was looking at um I was going to go backpacking and I had a tough time with this trip because I only had five trips I wanted to do but I only could do one because of the time that I had um, just being like a single dad, it's kind of like a dance with time a lot, mm-hmm. right? And I looked at the trip report on WTA, the little hiking app, with, mm-hmm. um, and someone's like, oh, yeah, I ran this in a few hours. And then I um, took my bike that I stashed at the other trailhead, and I rode it all the way back up to my car. I'm like, whoa, that sounds so cool. Mm-hmm. I could do so much more than that. And, and I could really, like, get out there and enjoy it. That'd be fun. I don't have to carry all this heavy stuff on my back. And and then I just fell in love because mm-hmm. and even when I first started like the the ratio to, to discomfort and joy was like stacked against me like mm-hmm. it was hard man I couldn't even run like a mile let alone five miles mm-hmm. and it just felt painful and I'd always wonder why would anyone want to do this but I keep doing it because I'd get up and you know and hike in the 
spring and summer and realize how beautiful it was. And I want to get out there more. But the only way to do that, I can't create more time because I, I guess I want to spend time with my son. But I can utilize more of my time out there. I can be mm-hmm. quicker. And with that motivation in front of me, it completely changed. And then I did my first um, like 40 miler this summer. And like, like running is very much a part of me. Like if I don't run, regardless, no races or anything like that, like I'm left wanting. Like I got to move, man. Mm-hmm. And that never used to be me like at all. And, um, and it just blows my mind because you, you have that relationship with discomfort. And it's like, why do I do this? Like I asked myself mm-hmm. that a lot, <laughs> like even this summer, while I say that I love running I still like, I was out on a number of trips and like, once or five times in those trips, I'm like, this is terrible. I don't want to do this. Like that's that type too fun. Yeah. It's really tough in the moment. But then when I look back at it or when I'm further along or at the start, it's like the best thing I could choose to do, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's the plight of many endurance athletes, I think. <laughs> uh, but there's something special about it. Yeah. And I think especially when you introduce it to the outdoors, mm-hmm. um, being able to move efficiently across like large terrain is like just you know a fantastic experience that is hard to hard to compete with Mm -hmm. it is my son it's uh, very evident because he'll do these like backpacking trips with me Mm -hmm. and even climbing and taking him caving down like Helens as well and like with all those things except caving he loves caving (laughs) like obsessed um in the moment, like he'll have his hard times and, but they'll be way more exaggerated. That it seems to happen a little more often. And I'm like super uncertain. Like you don't have to do this if you don't want to. Right. Mm-hmm. And then when we're away from it, like, you know, still feeling really uncertain and conflicted as a dad, I talk to the people at his school and that's all he writes about. It's all he talks about. He'll yeah. bring home pictures and he's like, look, we're in the mountains, dad. And he asked me to climb the volcanoes. And I'm like, <laughs> to do (laughs) but i think about myself and like talking to other people it's just like what we experience but because they're children they don't have those coping mechanisms their feelings are so much bigger just everything's so much bigger and harder to manage yeah you know but yeah Yeah, and probably rawer too right it's not like under the lens of um everyone else's experience it's like truly their own experience Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool yeah it is really cool and that's why my son's taught me a lot just by observing his own experience and even the things that he's had to share with me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so with design, you said that you do more than just landscapes and stuff. Um, how, what, what kind of work do you do? Is it mainly still in the outdoor industry or do you just have to take basically whatever you can get for clientele? Yeah. So I'm definitely, you know, kind of in the earlier stages of my freelance career. I've only been doing it for a few years now. And so, I am definitely still at the point of taking, you know, saying yes more often than I'm saying no. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I kind of, it's across the board, but I split my time between photography, videography, and design. Um, and so one day, you know, I'm, I might be on a rad outdoor shoot with a bunch of cool athletes. And the next day I might be um, sitting at a cafe designing like some pamphlet for Microsoft or something mm. like that, you yeah. know? And, and, uh, it's, I, I actually really enjoy having all three of those elements just mm. because it brings variety. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting to challenge myself in different mediums and be kind of a more holistic content creator mm-hmm. is a really fun way to define myself. Um, and to be able to pursue a lot more projects. Um, and so, you know, I love being able to combine 
photography and design or, or video and design <laughs> and uh, having bringing those um, those skill sets from from one category to the other, <laughs> I think is one of the things that just um, influences a lot of my aesthetics and kind of across the board. Mm. Did it begin with photography and then your interest just bloomed from there? Yeah. Uh, high school yearbook was where it started. Oh, wow. My dad was the yearbook advisor and he tossed me uh, the camera. It was actually before high school. He let me use the camera that they're using in yearbook. <laughs> we took a trip up to my grandparents' place in Anacortes down the road here. And uh, I just... I took all of the like most basic photos. I took the flower photos. I took the sun photos. I took the detail photos of my sister's eye, like mm -hmm. stuff like that in um, middle school. And then from there it, it grew. Um, I shot photos constantly throughout all of high school. And uh, I, I cared way more about photography than any of my classes. And wow. uh, when I got to college, I realized like I didn't want to go to school for photography because I felt mm -hmm. like I had given myself an education over the, the previous four years. Mm -hmm. uh, looking back on my portfolio that I applied with, I clearly had a lot to learn. <laughs> but um I wanted something that was a little bit more of a hard skill that um, I could be taught in <laughs> in university. Um, so that's why I chose the path of design through school. Um, and super thankful that I did just because I think coming out as a designer um, of college was uh, there's so many like marketable skills mm -hmm. that you have. Um, and it was a, an area that I really hadn't touched um in high school up until that point. Oh, that's exciting. Um, so getting to play around with all of the other assets that um, design gives you was uh, was really eye-opening. So then from there, kind of throughout that whole process, I was getting more into video as well. <laughs> and that was something that just kind of came along with both of them. Um, and so, you know, leaving college, I, my goal was to continue taking photos, continue shooting video, and continue doing design. That's what I've done, which has been really nice. Oh, that's cool. And then you just like kind of pivoted and found yourself really enjoying this landscape. Kind of mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. And the, I mean, the outdoor industry um, has definitely been like a, a really cool thing to work in. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm slowly doing more and more of it. Uh, but it's also, it's the same thing that I was talking about earlier. Like it's, <laughs> you know, that passion that brings you to those places. And so you happen to be there um, and it's just, you spend so much of your time thinking about it or, in those places that you're also creating in those places mm -hmm. um i think that's something that is a really cool element to you know the way that a lot of creatives adventure mm -hmm. is just getting to create in those places mm -hmm. it's pretty it's special your life yeah absolutely and is there um i'm gonna say this is there a possibility that you could put yourself in the position to where you're just doing these in the future? Like, is there a pathway for that? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. And I, um, I've definitely been exploring those opportunities and, mm -hmm. uh, it's a bit of a grind, you know, trying <laughs> to get sustainable work. That's, that's all in that industry. And I think as I will continue to grow as a creative and a freelancer, um, you know, I will most likely continue to, kind of have these specialties that I go towards. Um, and hopefully with those specialties come success. Um, I have a lot of friends in the creative industry who have gone one way or the other. And mm. so um, I have some friends who have found the smallest niche possible in photography and mm -hmm. are wildly successful. And then I have, you know, plenty of friends in the creative industry that, um, have also gotten out of the creative industry. You know, mm -hmm. they, they worked really hard at it. They were phenomenal photographers and, um, 
at some point they either burnt out or the work wasn't there. And so um, they had to find different options. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, it's that constant hustle, mm-hmm. but it uh, keeps you motivated. Yeah, keep it paying does. The rent and things. Mm-hmm. And it, it increased that creativity in how you handle it. Because, like, mm-hmm. it's very much a line that you walk, right, to be able to manage it all. A line even between doing the things, like, that you have to do and the things you want to do and keeping that passion alive and mm-hmm. trying to, yeah, avoid that burnout as much as you can. And I mean, you, you experience that in running too, right? Yeah. If you, if you have race goals and, and, you know, big mountain objectives, like train, 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 like your mental health just slips mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and totally. then, yeah, all of a sudden it's a diminishing point of return. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much a balance. I think it's uh, good for me to know when I need to rest mm-hmm. and know like when I need to go hard, you know, mm-hmm. it's the same thing with training cycles. And so creatively having those times where I can take a step back and I can, um, either just work on passion projects or I can just kind of, uh, maintain whatever level I'm at mm-hmm. versus the times that, um, I feel like I can dedicate, you know, 110% of my energy and my effort to all the things I'm working on and go out and, and pursue those new projects or, those passion projects um because it's constantly a battle for time mm-hmm. um because you always want to go make more projects that you think are cool mm-hmm. uh but you gotta work on the projects that are bringing in money mm-hmm. um and slowly trying to unify those things is you know i think what most creatives are looking for mm-hmm. and what would you say to someone though who says that making your passion like your source of your finances would ruin your passion right yeah and that i i'd probably say I, you know, don't have the wisdom to, mm-hmm. to argue against it. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely haven't like reached that point fully. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's for sure something that I worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think being really in touch with, uh, the actual enjoyments of the process, mm-hmm. um, will hopefully help me just you know, kind of be introspective about that through that process. And if, you know, assuming that this path continues and Mm -hmm. I continue to do more of the work that I truly just have fun doing, Mm -hmm. uh, I I hope that I'll be able to like inform myself when I am feeling burnt out on those, Mm -hmm. those places. Sometimes I wonder if it's not the trouble of, you know, aligning your passion with your finances, but more a trouble of um, saying yes, when you should start saying no, perhaps, but like, just like you said, I don't have the wisdom on that, but just listening to people that, that do. Yeah. Because right? there's that, like you said, you know, how the progression that you're at with design, right? You're saying yes more than you say no. Because there's that mm-hmm. point where you start saying no more than you say yes. And right. When you're what in demand, right? More. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, Almost. having the, the three different um, elements of my skill set, the photography, the videography, and the design, <laughs> I think is one of the reasons I've been able to stay engaged as long as I, I have um, and that I don't experience as much burnout because as soon as I start feeling that on a photo project, you know, some new design project comes down the pipe and I need to totally shift gears mm-hmm. um, and then I can't wait to pick up my camera again, you know, at the end of that month of, of just sitting in front of Illustrator or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I'm really thankful for that variety because I think it keeps things fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully we'll continue to do so into the future. Like, like we were talking about, I've been trying to do like a lot of listening <laughs> recently and um, talking to other creatives. And it's very interesting to just see who, who feels that, um, that fire and kind of who feels that burnout right <laughs> now in their lives. Yeah, I'm often seeking that because like you, 
but in my own things in my life, I'm afraid of arriving there mm. and not even just burn out on an individual passion. It's important to me, but on life overall. And, and that's something that I consider a lot so much that, um, that's probably one of my like highest priorities is mm. somehow to keep that excitement up. Yeah. You know? And, um, let me call it. Nope. I lost it. <laughs> well, I mean, so many of us go into the outdoors, um, and kind of turn our whole lives into the outdoors and wrap a lot of our identity up with mm -hmm. being, you know, an outdoorsy person and doing these activities. And, um, it's really interesting to see what happens when you strip that away. Mm -hmm. Um, and if that identity still feels like you mm -hmm. or, um, you know, if it feels like someone completely different. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that like we always battle with when you know you you finish summer or, or whatever your season is um if you're kind of focused on like one sport mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you have to kind of manage your time differently and and you almost become a different person mm -hmm. um but yeah i i think that's a that's like a constant battle that like most outdoorsy folks you know hit at some point mm -hmm. is figuring out how much of their identity to wrap up in those outdoor sports that we do the yeah the outdoor sports like have sucked up my identity because mm. i found myself identifying with those and like all the other things i'd push away over time sure. and i've had to think a lot about like how much am i going to remove these things out of my life so that i can do these things like right. i'm loving i'm enjoying the climbing and the running but when i'm training for like a 50 mile or uh, I got to put a lot of time into that. Mm -hmm. I can't do jujitsu. Like I have right. a hard time doing yoga a bunch or like art and then work. And that's where I'm like, oh, I want to reduce my hours or start doing things for work that align with my interests. Sure. Um, and there's this thing that I ran into with jujitsu as I started backing away from it and pushing, putting myself more into running and climbing mm -hmm. is that like, I kind of get conflicted um, where if you're doing all of these things, you're Perhaps it might limit you from becoming a, achieving mastery in one thing because mm -hmm. you do only have so much time. Yeah. However, I would say that for me um, personally, I'm more efficient and effective when I do things and, I'm, and my mental health is high. Mm -hmm. But I had to take this 50 miler and it's like, for instance, if I wanted to be competitive and ultra running, like if I wanted to work towards that over mm -hmm. the course of years, um, I'd have to commit like that that's all that I'm going to do. If I had to yeah. do um, MMA, which I, you know, I was doing, if I'm going to compete against people who are trying to knock me out, like that's better to be all that I do. Yeah. But when I do that, when I, whenever I've done that with any of those things, when I'm just wholeheartedly committed myself to just that, I've just start, my emotions just start plummeting. Like, sure. it, it's, it's so hard for me to manage. And then I'd go back and forth. It's like, why well, pursue this thing if it isn't in the pursuit of mastery? And then I wonder like what fulfillment is. And I'm out when it's hard. I'm like, well, why am I even pushing myself through this? Like, wait, are you trying to prove something to mm -hmm. like yourself? All these mental gymnastics and it's running especially has caused me to really think about that. Mm -hmm. um, how do you think about that? Do you feel that pursuing um, becoming a content creator does that take away from your ability to increase um, in like photography right because you only have so much time or even how does trail running take away from all these other activities mm -hmm. I know we talked about it before but I think it's like a real an important topic yeah I think it's uh, it's funny because it's like very applicable to both the creative industry and the outdoor industry <laughs> um, like I said I have 
you know, I, I've been told before, like you need to hyper specialize, like you need to have that very specific niche that you're going into and then you need to commit to it fully. Cause that's the only way that you're going to make money, uh, you know, in this, in this industry. And, um, I like have always pushed back on that because I have felt like one of the things that I really identify with is the ability to be versatile. Um, I don't necessarily like call myself a generalist, but that's probably just because I feel like there's negative, negative connotation. Yeah, I don't like the, the name either. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but just, I, you know, even when I was just first getting into photography, I like love shooting sports and I love shooting nature and I loved shooting portraits and like, I loved it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think forcing myself to, just go down one path is just restrictive. And like you said, there's so much benefit for your, your like mental well being when you have balance and versatility um, and you have the, you're challenging your, yourself in different ways. And I, you know, this might be romanticizing my own <laughs> scenario, but I like to think that um, all of the other aspects of what I'm doing um, help inform, you know, that, that potential niche and, um, this like network of different styles in photography or different disciplines in the visuals, um, those things feed each other. Uh, and I think, you know, when you're talking specifically about time and being able to dedicate a hundred percent time into, you know, one kind of path, um, I think you just risk burnout so much faster and you spend a lot more time, uh, kind of spinning your wheels for being idle. And I think, um, I have this one friend in college who only ran when he, uh, was in the middle of finals week and he had, you know, like a ton of deadlines for the, the paper, the local paper. Um, and he, he basically had to schedule out all of his time. Mm-hmm. And since he was doing that, he knew where his free time was. And he was mm-hmm. like, okay, I have 45 minutes here. What am I going to do with that? And that, you know, running mm-hmm. would kind of pop into his mind. He decided mm-hmm. to do it then. But then when he, he wasn't, you know, testing for finals and he didn't have all these deadlines, he had way more free time. He's like, I'll run at some point. And he like <laughs> never kind of convinced himself to go do it until uh-huh. the pressure was on. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, you know, obviously that's not sustainable, like mm-hmm. having that, that high, uh, kind of cadence every week. But, um, I think there's a lot of truth to that. It, you know, when you're, when you're focusing on say all these photography projects or you're focusing all on all of these trail running endeavors, mm-hmm. um, but you also want to do something else like videography projects or like backcountry skiing, mm-hmm. um, you figure out like what time you have to allocate to those things. And then you're much more intentional with your time. Mm. Um, and so I think that's one of the big differences, um, between kind of the per perception of being kind of, we'll call it the generalist again. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I think is in reality, one of the, like the biggest advantages of, of having that versatility is mm-hmm. just is it forces you to be really intentional with your time. Yeah. I guess I'd rather be counting my quarters and trying mm-hmm. to budget my bills for the month instead of having a bunch of free cash sitting around. <laughs> right. Or just noting, noting that, okay, all my money I get this month goes just to this one place. I don't have to think about it. Uh-huh. That's very interesting. Yeah. Cause you, when something commands you to be 
um, to be very thoughtful about your schedule, right? Mm-hmm. Then you, you're more, what is it, just intentional with it instead of haphazardly, like, spinning your wheels and just going about your day. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, I'm sure by the sounds of it, there's probably times in your weeks or months where you're considering, like, you're having to problem solve with some time management. Mm-hmm. And I think the demand to um, problem solve with time management, for me, it's been a very positive thing. Like, I spent my youth really high on a lot of different drugs and like mm-hmm. just in going to work at like as a dishwasher and then going to school and play video games in it so that's about it and like I just I was doing those things the, the drugs and the video games ways that stimulate me to fill my time right mm-hmm. not very constructive ways but that's what I was doing and the way that I would perceive my like my time what I did with my life and, and you know my what, what passion is to me um, was different it's bored a lot but Mm -hmm. like now it's a different relationship to where like every week um I'm constantly using like time management skills, not in the way that it's like stressful sometimes. And that's when I (laughs) poorly do it. Right. Mm -hmm. But in the way that I'm like, okay, I need to, I want to spend this much time with my son, you know, for the week and this much time for my running. And I've let it slip before and I felt the consequences. They're very real for me, whether it's, you know, on my son or whether it's on my other goals. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think if I didn't have that, those consequences or those tight margins, like I definitely wouldn't pay attention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's, yeah, you don't, uh, you don't hold yourself accountable as much. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important thing, at least for me, like I realize this is, um, very much my own perspective. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of folks out there that, um, would say that their experience with that hyper specialization or mm-hmm. that focusing on one thing is what, gives them direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know for like myself, it's, it's kind of the, what has been most effective so far. Yeah. That's why I look back to the unobstructed self-expression. Like mm-hmm. the, to be honest, like for, for me, right. The, the thing that's, that I would find interesting about your work is I can relate to that. Right. And I've had other people on the podcast before who are like hyper specialize in like this one thing. And I'm just like, Oh, that's, it's like very interesting, but it's just hard for me to be in those shoes in terms of feeling the same way that they would. But like for mm-hmm. you, that's what I noticed about your work is that it covers like a pretty wide array of things, but you're very interested in those, right? Like you have all these intersections. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, I've struggled and I know some people out there are listening probably struggle as well. Not everyone um, where they try to put themselves on one lane and they realize that there's other things that they want to incorporate as well. Cause like I had, trouble when I was doing the 50 mile um, or the Orcus um, 50 mile mm-hmm. so I did I did the Orcus 50 mile or I tried to and then I did um, the volcanic or not the volcanic the uh, Bigfoot 40 mile or whatever mm-hmm. the Orcus 50 that was my first 50 mile that I attempted and I quit on the um, marathon and it was a loop so like mm-hmm. you go you do a marathon loop and then another marathon loop right. and roughly that it was like 50 yeah. miles and I'd realized like I, I never got into running for races. Races were not very interesting to me. I love like, you know, destination trails races and like Rain Shadow. Those guys, they put on events, you know, on the, out in the wilderness and it's uh-huh. beautiful. And like it, for me, it gives that incentive to, to run and that, that feeling of, you know, moving efficiently in the wilderness. Like that's what I love. Um, but that didn't hit it. 
I was just doing that to like check a box. Mm-hmm. Like this is what I'm doing. I'm going to be someone who runs 50 miles and all sure. that like ego and all those things that go into it. And then I realized that that's just this something that demands like some level of focus and effort and time. You're going to, for some people, for me, cause I'm not very driven in that like achievement way and, and like that, how people perceive me somewhat. But that's mm-hmm. not my total game. I'll give up if it's fucking hard. Yeah. I don't care what people <laughs> think of me, man. Like, so I did that and I quit. And that's where I had to think about it. I'm like, why are you doing this? I'd rather be with my son right now. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not fun running to me. The yeah. first loop was, not the second loop. And I had to gate, figure out like what my level of success, what how I would gauge success with myself. Sure. Because what someone else's metrics that I'd follow, like, um, you know, name some famous runner, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, aren't the same as mine. And when I solely focused on just running for that race, so I can be as prepared as possible, made me personally very fragile. And that's not because that's because I was using what I thought other people did on my own self. Mm -hmm. I wasn't being introspective and looking within and figuring out like what is optimal for me and the cool thing about running or doing even like with creative work is experimenting mm-hmm. and then uh, regrouping, reflecting and going back and experimenting some more. Like that's yeah, why sure. I like to run, you know, and then I had to learn to let go and use different metrics to gauge my success. And that's what really helped with the, um, the Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I wasn't, I didn't care if I like, got dead fucking last. Yeah. Man. Like I was just out there to really enjoy it. And then to push myself in a way that's like meaningful to me, you know, mm-hmm. And, and that helped and that's why I think like if someone if anyone's out there it feels like they just want to do something they're like one track mine and they're super obsessive maybe they get in trouble or they're terrible at all these other things mm-hmm. leverage that you mm-hmm. know like that that's going to really help you move forward or if you're a generalist and you're doing this one thing and you're feeling like depressed but you are like beating yourself up and putting yourself in that like pigeonhole get yourself out you know sure yeah yeah inspecting the, the motivation for why we race is like a, is a very interesting thing. Um, especially in an industry that, uh, is, you know, as a kind of a smaller grassroots organization style kind of thing. Um, you know, at least in the United States, trail running isn't huge, right? Uh, it's tiny compared to things like triathlon or, you know, other sports and, um, figuring out like why we want to push ourselves so hard to um you know accomplish these like arbitrary goals i think seems very futile at Mm -hmm. first um but when you talk to people that are you know across the board and like no matter what times they're finishing in Mm -hmm. about why they're doing it like they all have their own goals right and making sure that like you are motivated by those own goals and that they are clear i think is really important and then just making sure that you're you're willing to change your goals is like super important. Mm. Um, getting set on those things can, <clears throat> yeah, totally break you. I think uh, when you're not willing to adapt those those kind of benchmarks that you're searching for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think something that's really cool in the industry um, that we're in is like so many people race so that they can adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, like in triathlon, you train so that you can, you know, race mm-hmm. and like, that's awesome. And a lot of people trail run that way too. But I think a lot of trail runners, uh, race so that they can use that as a stepping stool to say then like, okay, I'm like prepared to go run 50 miles in the backcountry mm-hmm. on my own or with someone else. And they use that as their safety net. Um, they prove it to themselves that they can do it. 
And then they, they use it as a stepping stool to go out and, and crush these awesome routes and go explore and get back to what we're talking about, which is the, you know, moving quickly through, you know, big terrain. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's super special. And I think, uh, that's why I like early season races because mm-hmm. you get in like this big a goal at the beginning of the race or at the beginning of the season, you get in shape for that. And then you have all of summer to just go exploring. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's like a fun way to structure your schedule is that you have that committed, you know, 50 mile or whatever your distance is. And then you have all of these, you know, uh, hikes that I'm sure you've kind of starred on WTA mm-hmm. or something like that. You go out and you run those through the summer um, and you utilize that uh, ability that you've built up to perform, you know, in that initial race. And I've been meeting more and more people who have, who have those kinds of goals mm-hmm. going into it. And like, that's been the most inspiring thing for me because I did not realize it was like that. And like, once I learned about that, it was like a door that just opened for me. Yeah. And yeah, and that's why I think it's really cool to share these experiences because for people like um, people on the who don't participate, not just in the outdoors industry, but I would just say like just sports in general, it's merely mm-hmm. from a spectator side. Like a lot of it's focused around like, you know, um, who won the event. Right? Mm-hmm. And like an understanding that the sole purpose of competition is to win. Right. And mm-hmm. like everything that goes, not, not even in an egotistical way, but everything that goes into that, like you're, you're aspiring to be the champion, you're aspiring sure. to be the best. And like, you know, you get into these things and it's like you, trail running. I completely agree. It's very interesting. The difference between trail running and road running, uh, volunteering at the events and seeing mm-hmm. what a lot of people's motivations are. Cause it kind of tends to swing the other way in trail running. I don't really understand why, um, but I even see that in jujitsu too. Hmm. Like jujitsu, someone's like been training for 16 years and they competed all these tournaments. And some people like fly all around the world and they um, train and, or they fly all around the world and they compete, f- compete for cash prizes. Right. And they're known to be like some of the best competitive grapplers in the world. Mm-hmm. And you talk to them and they'll tell you, Oh yeah, I got these guys. They can smash me out my gym. Mm-hmm. And like, they're great. And what I would think from an outsider's point of view and several people who don't participate in sports um, are kind of on the same page is like, Oh, those people, you know, maybe they just tried and they're just not successful. Right. They're just like, they're, they're not, but they're perceived like losers or something like that. Or like, you know, they're just teachers and maybe they taught because they couldn't make it competitively. And it's like, no, Mm -hmm. we all have different metrics in which we gauge our own success. Like when I do jujitsu and I'm grappling with someone, I'm the kind of person where if I notice they're doing like improper technique um, or if there's something that they can work on, I'll put myself in bad situations so they can work on it. I'll get out and improve my technique too, but Mm -hmm. I'm not like going as hard as I can and trying to increase my competitive game. I'm just trying to increase my technical game and then help them learn because I'm more concerned about personally like affiliation and dominion. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, want to win that much and that's like in my nature i've tried and i do compete and i've won things but like that's not on the top of my list maybe sometimes but pretty rarely mm-hmm. and i have several friends in jujitsu though where they are those competitors that travel and they're like that's in them very much and mm-hmm. they've learned that in the pursuit of jujitsu they're like i don't do teaching gets in the way of, of me being able to improve my technique and being able to compete and i'm like I'd be sad if I didn't teach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And I think it's a it's a really interesting comparison in I think trail running because uh, 
trail running is this like weird hybrid type one type two <clears throat> fun sport where a lot of the time it, it actually isn't super fun <clears throat> but there are a lot of times that are super fun <clears throat> and the pendulum swings back and forth between those things a lot and uh you look at like backcountry skiing or mountain biking or um you know any like surfing you know things that um people do that like clearly there's that moment <clears throat> where you're like this is type one fun. I am like, you know, like yelling because I'm having so much fun. And, um, the, like, I feel like we never really question those motives when people do that. When people are going backcountry skiing, um, you know, you say like, Hey, you want to go get some turns in? It's like obvious that you're going to, you know, put in this effort <laughs> so that you can have fun doing this thing, mm. you know, going downhill, mm-hmm. um, trail running, like, doesn't necessarily at least in my experience hit that like amazing super fun you're shredding downhill through you know like knee deep powder kind of fun it's Mm -hmm. a different kind of fun Uh, but it's also not purely uh a workout Mm -hmm. right like it's not at least for i think most people that i know that do it it's not 100% type two fun or type three fun. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it still has that element of like, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. This feels good. I'm Mm -hmm. having fun in this way. And so I think that's where like a lot of those motives get a little clouded. Cause again, for a mountain biker, like, duh, of course you're going to go bike up this hill and and put yourself through the ringer so that you can have this like sick line, you know, (laughs) down this route. Um, but for trail running, I think people are have a little bit harder of a time understanding it because um, until you get to that point, you don't realize that it can actually be fun mm-hmm. and actually is this thing that um, is really enjoyable and, and is like, you know, pure joy in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, it's just so different from like road running mm-hmm. or or one of those, you know, any other like standard endurance sport. I agree because it's it's very it's been very hard for me to understand like to to put it in any of those boxes because like there will be moments where it's like oh this is just a grind this is like this is hard and then Mm -hmm. other ones where I'm like alive with excitement yeah and I love those moments where you take the time to like introspectively reflect and then put yourself there have you done any um, ski mountaineering yeah I so I'm a split boarder oh really so um. I definitely am picky about the train that I go into. <laughs> Why is that? Is that for danger? I mean, avalanche. That's uh, sh- sure. You <laughs> definitely avalanche. Obviously, like for any backcountry skiing, like um, Abby concern is you know always front of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to joke that I take things easy because I'm a splitboarder, but it's really <laughs> just because I'm not as hardcore as a lot of other splitboarders. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can you can snowboard anything that you can ski, but mm-hmm. uh, it's just kind of a fun excuse to make sometimes, <laughs> uh, especially when my friends are ditching me because they're on skis and we're on a traverse or something. But oh, wow, yeah. Um, yeah, I've done, I've gotten into it just over the last like three years mm-hmm. um, and kind of done it a, a lot over the last two, especially. Um, I'd say backcountry skiing. I wouldn't say necessarily ski mountaineering. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I've skied, uh, Helens and Baker and, and done some fun routes like that. Um, but most of the stuff that I do is, is fun. And mm-hmm. I, I tend to not need super steep terrain mm-hmm. to make things exciting for myself. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not, not 
super hardcore by any means in that way. Yeah. I, next year I'm going to buy my setup and Sweet. get into um, backcountry skiing. And cool. like I've, because my favorite thing about running is running downhill. Yeah. And some people are like, Oh, you just love, like I've skied or snowboarded before. I've never skied, mm-hmm. but it's like, Oh, you, you just, you would love to, to ski. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, it'll be fun. I, I do it at the resort a lot when I lived in Idaho, but it was just like, what seven hundred dollars a year or yeah, something like that? That's so crazy. And it, it was hard for me. That's what I liked running as well. It's just like oh, I just need shoes. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. nice. Yeah, and uh, backcountry skiing like definitely is a pretty big initial investment. Mm-hmm. Um, feel very like privileged to be able to do it. Uh, but just that element of looking at a slope and being like, okay, like I don't need mm-hmm. a lift. I you know I can go get some sick turns in mm-hmm. just by driving to the parking lot and heading up. Is a really cool feeling, mm-hmm. um, and when you feel comfortable being able to, you know, read a topo map to inspect for avi danger mm-hmm. um, and plan a tour and everything, then that's like a really cool experience of getting to um, travel through a new type of terrain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in running, we're like pretty limited to trails mm-hmm. unless you get in the high alpine, which mm-hmm. I love. You know, like the rocky playground, mm-hmm. uh, but. In touring, you know, backcountry skiing, um, you have a lot more options and it's a lot more open um, to interpretation. So it's like a really fun problem solving endeavor. Ooh, that sounds cool. It reminds me of doing some trad climbing on some like mm-hmm. less popular routes. I love sure. looking at like shittily drawn pirate maps. <laughs> yeah. Of, <laughs> get to the top of this with no legend or anything. It's like, what do all these symbols mean? Sure. Yeah. yeah. We'll figure it out. Uh-huh. Um, so y- you said that you're not really into like the steep stuff mm-hmm. when it comes down to skiing. Yeah. What about running? Does that excite you when you have like a really steep line or do you prefer <laughs> nice and gradual runnable non-techy uh, stuff? No, I love a good, a good downhill kind of sprint slash, you know, try to stay on your feet mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, I think what, I, what I'm talking about in backcountry skiing is like, I, I generally don't put myself in scenarios where I feel like scared yeah and where i'm i'm on an edge that uh if i fall Mm -hmm. then you know there are major consequences Mm -hmm. uh because i again like i i just have a blast at 30 degree terrain you know like carving it up um and maybe over the next few years as i like continue to pursue it i'll Mm -hmm. like start to get that itch more um but I think that's kind of the, the difference for me right now. And like the nice thing about running is like you're, unless you're on something technical or you're scrambling or mm-hmm. something like that, you're usually not at any serious risk. Mm, yeah. That's where I'm at the divide where it's like, I really like to be like, like third class, fourth mm-hmm. class terrain. Yeah. And being like, uh, I think is it, is it like the Wasatch in Utah? Sure, yeah. It's like 36 miles and it's like third, fourth class scrambling. Oh, is like the, the Traverse? Yeah, the Traverse. Yeah, I, I'm not very familiar with it, but yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. It looks about. fun. Because mm-hmm. there's just like some parts where you like step and just like sheer drop on yeah. both sides. And I don't know what's wrong with me because like <laughs> I like look at that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I do. I do that. That looks yeah. so much fun. Yeah. And like when I notice in certain runs or when I'm on a trail, if I hit a boulder field, if I get a nice fun creek to cross yeah. or if I'm going like if I'm up in the high country, right, on like some rocky terrain, not climbing. Sure just being up there with that exposure yeah 
no precipitous cliffs. For people with exposure, it's more like I got 360 degree views of just some beautiful country around me. Mm-hmm. Like that's when like the meaning of uh, I get that type one fun. Like mm-hmm. I, I can get a little splash of that. Yeah. And it makes it really worth it. And then I'm going to pivot off this where it's like with the backcountry skiing. I think it would be very interesting because for some reason, I really like experiences that have that level of effort. So if I mm-hmm. have to skin up, I haven't done that before, but if it's like going like hiking uphill, if I have Mm -hmm. to exert myself upward just to have fun and go down, I think I would enjoy that a lot more. And it Mm -hmm. seems like people enjoy it a lot more than just kind of getting the ride. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, I totally agree with both those things. I love those, you know, summer runs when you go pick a peak and you, you can run like literally run most of it until Mm -hmm. that last half mile. That's all super slabby stuff. And you're in class three terrain and you have to pick your, you know, moves a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a blast, especially since I don't have a very extensive technical climbing background. And so, uh, I like the the moving fast where you're never really in that much danger. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to be the. I'm not like I get afraid to get into these things to where it's like, oh, I'm probably going to die one day. Yeah, right. But, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and so knowing when to dial it back is is a really important skill. But having that um, those adventures to look forward to where you get to combine running and scrambling like our blast, mm-hmm. um, and then like on the you know ski touring side of things. Um, getting i anytime i ski the resort um i always kind of feel like i'm cheating a little bit mm-hmm. or uh like i'm not getting in the same workout that i i want to be doing you know when mm-hmm. i'm out doing some physical activity which maybe is just like my mind is tainted by trail running yeah, and endurance activities <laughs> uh, but it's really nice to have that need filled when you're when you're touring because mm-hmm. you, you totally get that on on the skiing uphill and out of your pursuit of trail running, have you done organized races? Mm-hmm. Um, so in your pursuit of trail running, all the things that you've learned from from that with your own self, right, outside of trail running, um, whether it's like, you know, questioning your, your motives um, or being able to look at like your failures and mm-hmm. what didn't what prevented you from achieving your goals. I feel like in those experiences, it's a little harder to um, to ignore them into pretend like they don't exist right um like dysfunction is more obvious in these physical activities mm-hmm. um does that do those things those things that you've learned from that activity have they carried over to your design um mm. experience because i feel like when you do creative things sometimes it's easier to just like to avoid um to avoid all like the signals right to not be able to be objective or as objective as you can be introspective and just make excuses and be like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the right answer should be yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm, you know, I feel like I'd need to do a lot of, uh, kind of just reflection to see if that's actually true. Yeah. Um, and I don't know as much as if it's, learning those things from trail running and bringing them to the creative industry, or if it's um, just having the skill set to deal with those in the first place mm-hmm. and, and applying those in both places. Um, Cause I think I've learned, you know, I, I got into trail running and I got into the creative industry, like pretty much around the same time. Yeah. Um, and so they have been kind of concurrent. So uh, I like to think that my just the 
endeavor of of problem solving and dealing with failure or you know learning from your past um is something that i've applied to both of those equally as i've gone through mm-hmm. um but you know i think that's a it's a hard one to you know point directly to the source of those things and yeah. say that i you know i i've directly um benefited in my design or my photography from trail running, you know, purely mm-hmm. because I've like learned to fail on those things. I, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd say it's more of just kind of the skill set that I've created. Yeah. I think that like sometimes it has a lot to do with what we attribute meaning to and whatever sure. is meaningful enough to like bear the bullshit. Yeah. Whether you're feeling lazy today or you're procrastinating. It's like Victor Frankl's man's search for meaning is like a very interesting book. Have you mm-hmm. heard about it? No. He was, uh, he was in Auschwitz. Okay. And he was a Jew and he'd watched all the other, he'd watched, you know, Jews in Auschwitz living out their lives and obviously suffering incredibly. And some people would um, give up and other people would be like, kind of like when you're running a race and everyone, I don't want to make, but when you're running a race and everyone's having a hard time and then you see that mm-hmm. one person and they're just, they're having a great time. Like mm-hmm. it's just miserable. Maybe, you know, it's the, the ultra run that's in like death Valley and it's yeah. like, how could you be happy here? Yeah. And it's the same situation though. And uh-huh. he see like certain, like there'd be Jews that would really happy. They, they wear it really well. They're, mm-hmm. and they're like, they're emaciated, they're suffering. Right. And they feel like they, it seems like they can almost withstand anything. And he would notice though, that, at, that everyone had like some level of that. And, at certain points over the course of months and, and weeks that that would wear away and they'd just give in. They'd, they'd like start, um, I think they would smoke their cigarettes instead of selling them out for more food and like mm. training or trading them. Mm. And then once they did that, you know that they're just, they're going to die. Like they're going to kill themselves. Mm. And, um, he was noticing that a lot of it had to do when people would stop. Um, if people didn't have wives or children at home, um, they would, Immediately, once they're in there, miserable, um, eventually kill themselves a lot quicker. And then people who um, did have something that was at home where they did have a sense of meaning, right, by whatever, like, personal narrative that they would tell themselves, right, whether it was religion or otherwise, um, they were able to endure for a lot longer. And that's where I think it's interesting that people can go, you know, two ways to be general, which is like, you know, pursuing those things that you want, right. And going in the directions that are satisfying or slumping and just spiraling downward and being Mm self-destructive. Right. And we're like all going in those different directions at different times, but like there's clear distinctions when someone mostly goes the dysfunctional route. And when someone mostly goes like taking on their responsibilities and trying to make their life better, right. And the life around them. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's interesting to me is like, sometimes I like to think, and I need to get, pull my head out of my ass, but like, <laughs> is that when you do these things like these sports, right? It pushes you more towards that direction once you voluntarily choose to do it mm-hmm. because you can't like not practice. If you don't practice ultra running, it'd be hard to like, if you're not, if you're only doing five miles a week and you're training for a 50 mile or like, well, you're not training for the 50 mile and everyone you told you're training for the 50 miler is going to like, there's all this pressure that goes into it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're like riding and you might not practice, but you go up there, right. Cause you put it off and then you nail it or you don't. And you're just like, Oh, the crowd's terrible. Mm-hmm. But the truth of it, I think is, is like, or a little more in line with it. It'd be like, whatever's meaningful enough to you. Cause all that shit's terrible. Like there's probably <laughs> days where you don't want to like do some of the shit on your to-do list, but you do them anyway. Mm-hmm. And because something's meaningful, right? Something makes it worth it. Yeah. 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 I definitely don't want to try to compare 
the yeah. elective suffering of, you know, ultra running to, uh, concentration camps. Yeah. But I can speak to, you know, ultra running my own experiences and, uh, or actually I probably, what would be better informed is my experiences crewing and pacing. Mm-hmm. Um, I love going to races where you have a handful of friends in the race um, and you get to see them all come through the same aid station at completely different points. Because mm-hmm. um, it reflects, you know, how differently you can be experiencing mm-hmm. that part of the race with mm-hmm. that mile, you know, mile 60 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and how people deal with it. And, you know, some people just are like head down, super focused, super dialed and mm-hmm. are pretty level headed. Uh, some people are like, you know, angry or some people are just like super stoked and come in like really chill. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm curious if, like you were saying, if that's a if that's a motivation thing or if that's, you know, has to do with um, like how you deal with that those lows of the mm-hmm. race or where, or, I mean, the other things you're just hitting lows at completely different times than other people too. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's true. Um, but it, yeah, it's super interesting to see like how people address those challenges when they hit them and how differently it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I do think it like brings up that question of motivation mm-hmm. and it, it forces it right in front of you. Um, mm-hmm. and like forces you to grapple with it. Yeah. That's what I mean is like, and I don't even mean to, I guess like it's that in certain senses in running, I feel trapped. Yeah, by that sure. and like like I feel trapped and I have to deal with it because if I don't there's like immediate consequences yeah and sometimes that's like when I'm out in the backcountry and it's just me like it's it's that's it uh-huh. and like I guess not even sports there's just certain situations that perhaps you might put yourself in that it's like okay we're gonna deal with this mm-hmm. and there's not really much else we're gonna be able to do yeah like yeah it is kind of wild the like how quickly things can es- escalate too mm-hmm. um like ultra running is a very like safe sport for the most part. Um, you, you don't have to deal with like avalanches or you don't have to, you know, you're most likely not worried about, um, huge falls, taking huge falls, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, and so I think that that like puts a lens over it, that it's like a, it's a pretty tame sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can quickly get into trouble like, uh, very easily. And whether that's, you know, you go out for a 50 mile route, which you've done 50 miles before, you're feeling fine. Um, and you get 25 miles out there and all of a sudden you're in the back country and something goes wrong. Um, or, you know, if that could be, you go out for like, a, I went out on a, what I thought was going to be like a 10 mile run out mm-hmm. in the North Cascades <laughs> up this route that was steep, but you know, nothing I hadn't done before. Um, it was a new trail to me mm-hmm. and I bushwhacked for like, you know, a couple hours and then uh it started raining and then it got dark and it was one of those oh, things where man. i went out for just this like evening trail run mm-hmm. up a peak that i thought i'd be able to make it up and down and no problem um and i like bailed halfway and i like <laughs> almost got like terribly lost oh. at one point and i like i tend to think that i'm pretty smart when i move through the mountains and i'm usually pretty prepared and i mm-hmm. have good navigational skills but um because I was going out there with that mindset of like, this is, 
you know, a, a casual evening run. I'm just going to go exploring, take a few photos. Um, I didn't treat it with the respect that I owed it mm. as being like something that could kill you. You mm-hmm. know, is this something that could be dangerous? Um, so it's, it's just that escalation happens very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it, I think it surprises us a lot. Yeah, I think it does. That's like complacency and like group think too. When you do mm-hmm. like alpine stuff, you could be yeah. very careful of. Yeah. Or else you could find yourself in very dangerous situations. Totally. Right? And I think yeah. that if you have any experience mountaineering or, or backcountry skiing or climbing, mm-hmm. trail running is like this, you know, super casual endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely find myself falling into that trap of like, you know, I'm not wearing a harness. I, you know, I don't have to have a helmet on. Like this can't be that bad, but, uh, it's good to have those reminders every now and then that like it, it can get serious pretty quickly. Yeah, it really is, man. And is there anywhere that uh, people can check out your work? Yeah. So, uh, Instagram, just Nick M Danielson is the handle. And then, uh, my website's just nickdanielson.com. Um, Sweet. And I'll be sure to leave all the links to that in the show notes. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. I really enjoyed getting to talk with Nick. It's very helpful for me to talk with people who enjoy hyper-focusing on a passion and also talking with people who have a very regimented and wide array of interests. It's fucking complicated it's hard to figure out how to live that life that feels quality to you because it's such a subjective experience and that's the most beautiful fucking thing about life how can it get boring when we all have our own suffering to contend with And it's not laid out and clear. Sure, we play out narratives that have been existing for thousands and thousands of years, like the power-hungry individual, um, the lustful person, this person that tries to um, amass wealth to be able for the betterment of their community, and then they become toppled by power. Like, there's a lot. Even... St. Nicholas. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. But we all have the experience of stepping up, trying the things that we want, and watching them unfold. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful as a dad watching my son unfold in his own way. And you have all these expectations as a parent, and you realize that you're just guiding them. You're just putting, laying out the framework and helping them stay safe while they allow their own behavior, not even behavior, while they allow their own personality to unfold. And it's beautiful. It can be hard not to stifle it within children and within ourselves with all these you shoulds and have tos and what if I don'ts. And in the end... How often do we test those? If you'd like to learn more about Nick, you can find him on Instagram at Nick M. Danielson or on his website, nickdanielson.com. And you can also find all the links to that in the show notes. And if you'd like to support this show, head over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, your favorite podcast app. 
or go to becominghumanpodcast.com. You can find us on social media, Becoming Human Podcast, and more. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Without further ado, here's Wild Heart at the Living Yet wild for more So lead me to the forest edge Take me to your riverbed Lead me Lead me Take me Take me Lead me to water's Teaching me to misbehave